Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. And we are going to start the message the exact same way we did last week. Have you ever asked the question to yourself, life just isn't very fair? You maybe have made all the right moves in your life. You do the best to follow the instructions and things just don't turn out the way you hope for and they don't come together the way you hope for it to be. And you find yourself wondering about why things have happened the way that they've happened and you've tried your very, very best to follow the directions, follow the rules, obey whatever has been put in front of you. And maybe you're, you're in a place where you're like, I didn't choose this for myself, and here I am, and I've tried to make the right moves, and I've tried to trust, and now you just wonder if God is really behind it all, and wondering if it was really meant to be, if it was meant to be, and wondering why things haven't happened the way that you'd hoped that they'd happen in your life. Maybe you're sort of like, I, I was hoping things would look very differently in my life 10 years ago, and I was hoping that things would be very different and yet they are much of the same. And I have tried to live faithfully with the Lord. I've tried to do this. I've tried to trust in the Lord a little bit more deeply. And yet yet things have just not happened the way that they had hoped it to be. And that's exactly where the story of Joseph lands us. And Joseph felt the same way. He was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and then he was taken into Egypt. And we find that sometimes life just isn't very fair. And then we wonder if this whole faith thing and trust thing is really worth it. If God, if God, if I'm faithful, if I place faith in God, why haven't things turned out the way that they have turned out for me? It was like we whole we wonder if this is really worth it. If you're in that place this morning, I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> I'm glad that you're here because I think we're going to discover a little bit more about faith and trust and what it means and may turn out more surprising than we may think. So if you have the scriptures, you can open up the Bible in front of you, Genesis 40 on page 30. And if you want to go there and if you just want to place a placeholder, that's where we are, Genesis chapter 40 or in your Bible or on your device as well. And it's going to be on the screen here in a few minutes. But we've been talking about Joseph. And if you need the dust of the cobwebs dusted off for a bit, the story of Joseph is in the Old Testament, the very first book of the Bible. And we learn at the very beginning, even from the very beginning, Boy, there are some strained family relationships from the very beginning of the Bible. And I just love the fact that the Bible just tells us real life as it is, church. Let's just, as honest, the Bible is telling us real life as it really is in its most rawest form and the basic human relationships that make up this world and including in the scriptures is a story about a family. And we've begun through this because I know, I know personally that many of us are walking through some deep family hurt currently. Maybe it's broken relationships. Circumstances seem very bleak. There are some family dynamics that seem to be at the end of the rope, and there doesn't seem to be any hope. And I'm just, I'm just trusting God in this series to do a restorative work, to do a redemptive work, and maybe a work that maybe right now we just don't see the light of day tomorrow between it. But I'm praying that God does this restorative work in our lives and in this story, and that, may, that, that there would be some redemptive work happening in the lives of this story. This is the real stuff of the Bible meets real world. I mean, real stuff meets real relationships. 
the real, the real God of the Bible, I would pray that this would be met right in this moment. Whatever it is, in the real kind of nitty-gritty relationships that we find us, it's just like this is the real stuff of life that we are going through currently right now. And it's maybe, maybe it's not necessarily family for you in the forefront. Maybe it's like your friends or people very close to you who are strained. There's brokenness. There's just, there's a lot of broken relationships, and there's a real God at work right now. Yes, this was, this was, this was set in time, uh, in a period of time long ago, but, is, but by His Spirit, it still lives, and God's Spirit still moves in us. So using us to bring about redemption, using all of us in this room to bring about redemption to our stories and maybe our families and friends. Um, and so I just, this is what we start, this is kind of what we, the story of Joseph sort of landed us with this question last week. Are there perhaps times, maybe, where we've given up on trust in God, one trust too soon? And the story of Joseph, we know how the story goes, we know how the story ends, that's how the Bible is written, and we know what happens in this story. But I often wonder, and Joseph, and in, in the story of how it progresses, Joseph kept trusting God every single step of the journey. The ending hasn't been written on your life. The ending has not been written on your life. The vision of, of, is still in play. And what happened to Joseph was not fair. And he could have all, all the excuses in the world, maybe to self-pity or to give up or to scream. And maybe he's like, I don't deserve the way things have happened. And yet, Joseph trusted God anyway. Every single step, trusted God, trusted him, and trusted God. And maybe you're in a place currently where you are trusting God's care. You are trusting God's timeline. You are trusting whether things are really going to work out. And we can trust a God who sees the entire timeline of this. And sometimes, church, in our Christian context, in our Christian world, not in just Christian world, but our world in general, we often just want immediate results. We're like, what can I do now? I want immediate results now. I want, if I place faith, and trust now. I just want results to happen now. And sometimes we get done, we, we throw in the towel too soon. And I just wonder if God is asking maybe of us today, if you've given up trust in God, maybe to turn back to God and to trust God, because I don't want it to be one trust too soon and for God's timeline. It's built over a lifetime. He is patiently, God is patiently and faithfully at work in ways we could never employ or imagine. Imagine what in Joseph's mind he could have been going through and he was innocent, he resisted temptation, he was unsure of the final outcome and the story finds us that he is in prison for a crime he did not do and in those days, in fact, and in those days in the prison, he had no idea if he was ever going to get out. In fact, it, in those days, in the, being in the prison could end up in stoning or death. And this was a crime he did not deserve, and he didn't deserve to be there. We, church, have thousands of pages of stories of God's faithfulness all across the scriptures of people who trusted God and who trusted God every single step, who trusted God over lifetimes, and they are better for it. Don't throw in the towel on God. Because he sees a bigger timeline than we could ever see. Notice the verses that characterize Joseph's life. This is of 39. It says, While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those impelled in the prison, and the Lord was with who? 
Joseph, we're told this, we're told this several times, we're told this several times that the Lord was with Joseph. And I just imagine, like, this is what is recorded about Joseph in prison, that the Lord was with Joseph. And I just, I just ask myself and challenge myself with this question. In circumstances that I don't want to be in, in places that I don't want to be, what would be written about my life? We don't find recorded in the Bible that Joseph was angry, that he was resentful, that he was bitter, that he screamed out to the other people in the prison. We find recorded that the Lord was with Joseph. And I just have to ask myself, and we have to ask ourselves, church, the challenging moments of here is, what do we do with circumstances that we're given? How do we respond to them? What's going to be written about my life? What legacy do I want to leave what do I want recorded in these seasons, in these circumstances I don't want to be in? And so I just challenge myself yet with this. And yet, Joseph stood his ground. He faced into the wind and trusted in God alone and trusted an audience of one. And he played out his life in an audience of one. It means also that integrity matters, even if it costs you. Even if you get thrown into a prison, it is right to be in relationship with God, even if it doesn't seem very fair. And church, God is going to be there even if it seemingly all goes wrong. Can I say it again? God's going to be there even if it seemingly all goes wrong in your life. Know that for Joseph, he still obeyed God and he still held, held on to God's promises. He fleed from sin. He kept trusting in God in the midst of a cruel world that at every turn was telling him to quit trusting God. At every excuse, at every reason to not trust God, yet he kept doing it. So we've, been taught, we've talked a little bit about kind of the overall picture of where Joseph is at this point. And Joseph comes from a family of 12, and his father, we've learned about Joseph, that his father loved him more than any of, of the other brothers. And so this is, marks this, this whole family line and marks this kind of spirals out of control with favoritism and envy and jealousy. And that sort of undermines this entire account with this family. It begins with his father, and now his brothers are envious of him because then Joseph, early on, has this God-given dream given to him. And this dream, he tells his brothers about this dream. And the dream is about his brothers bowing down to him. I don't know about you. I don't know if you have a sibling. I have a twin. I can imagine the tension there, if you have a sibling, of your sibling telling you, like, I had a dream that you're going to bow down to me one day. Um, let's just think about this tension, relational tension here for a minute. We all have siblings. can imagine what that would look like. We can imagine how that would feel for all of us. And so I just imagine this. Is, and then that sort of grows, and that envy and jealousy grows. And then uh, next thing you know, they find himself, he finds himself at the hand and the mercy of his brothers plotting to kill him. I mean, it goes very, very quickly and it passes, but it's just this it's sin under, just undergirds this whole thing. And then they sell him to merchants passing by. They throw him to a pit. And then they say, okay, there's these Egyptian merchants coming by. And then they just to just give them to these merchants. And it's this story that just, that just seeps with jealousy and betrayal. And maybe you find yourself in a place that you didn't think you'd be. Maybe you are like Joseph. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you find yourself in a place or a culture that you did not think that you'd be in yourself or a relational conflict that you did not see coming. And what we find in this story is Joseph in a place that he did not want to be far away from home. And we find this to be very surprising and hope, very hopeful. 
And Joseph didn't waver in his trust. And I imagine at this point, we'd probably assume, I can't believe this, Joseph, and even at, his, even at his brother's expense, I mean, the people very closest to him, he's betrayed. Yet what we find is one whose trust deepens, and he didn't let circumstances hinder his relationship to God. And the challenge of this story, church, is circumstances change, feelings sometimes change. God never changes. God never changes, and the circumstances did not hinder his relationship with God. And I can, uh, the church, this is just the challenge here. The challenge of this story is despite being unjustly put in prison, he did not deserve to be in prison, being accused of a crime you didn't do and sold into slavery, a land far from your own and being betrayed by the people closest to you that you absolutely love and then telling your own father that you've been killed and yet we find Joseph still making the best out of the situation in the prison and still gaining the trust of the warden. It's a fascinating story of someone who has an unwavering ability to trust God, even when circumstances like would scream like self-pity, complain, be bitter, be angry, be resentful toward God, toward other people, and yet that's not what we find. What we find in this story is somebody who trusts God, and he trusts God in the world that he is in right now. The time for living for God is is the world that you're in right now. Even if it's a world that you did not hope for, even if it's a world that you did not plan out 20 years ago, and maybe your 15 years ago, 15-year plan, your journey. The time to live for God is the world that we're in right now. Not the world that we hope for or not the world that we see maybe in the future, but the time to live for God is the world that we are in currently right now. And, and I never met anybody who has had their life planned out to a T. But yet the time to live for God is the one that we are in right now because today is promised. And when faith gets put to the test, when trust gets put to the test, when the pressure is on, it can reveal a lot of things. And it revealed a deepening relationship with God even when circumstances were telling him that he should throw in the towel as well. God was with him was a phrase that shows up five times. God was with him. Church, God's with you. God is with you too, even in circumstances. Even when in times where you may think God has forgotten about you. Even when you think that God is distant from you or even when you think that God has seemingly abandoned you or seemingly has forgotten about your circumstances, God was with Joseph. So let's go to Genesis 40, verse 1. We're going to walk through this together. And if you have your Bible, you can follow along or you can follow on the screen behind me. Genesis 40 goes like this. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. So we are not told what it was specifically what offended their master. For the cupbearer, he's the one who would be the, kind of the one in those days to taste the wine and the food before it would go to the king. He'd be like the guy um, in those days who would basically take the fall if it was poisoned, so to speak. And so uh, for some reason, we can surmise here, the cupbearer and the baker of the king offended their master. Maybe the baker put too many kidney beans in the chili or, <laughs> or jalapenos in the chili. Anyway, I thought I would get a little bit more laughter out of that because I... Thank you for the pity laugh. Um, we don't know why he offended the king, but we just know that something happened there, the king of Egypt. And so Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard 
in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Interesting, we find this again, that here is Joseph in a prison, and yet he has enough trust with people in order to be attending to other people. It's just kind of how, this, this God, how, God, how God weaves this story together. After they had been in custody for some time, we're not sure exact time of this, but each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. So here we go with dreams again. Joseph came to them the next morning. He saw that they were dejected. Interesting little thought there. I just stopped there for a second. He saw that they were dejected. You know, Joseph still noticed people who were hurting. I mean, to me, you would think like that would not be the case. He would want to like not notice other people's hurts or like notice his own hurt and kind of be absorbed. Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Notice Joseph's response. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to who? God, tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream, and he said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. Okay, so then Joseph, this is what this means. Joseph said to him, These three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. It's a pretty favorable interpretation. And you will put, and what you will, and you, and just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when it all goes well with you, this is peculiar, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh to get me out and get me out of this prison. <laughs> I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put into dungeon. And here's where we get a little glimpse into Joseph's thinking. He's thinking about this, and he's thinking about his circumstances. He doesn't deserve to be there. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, he said, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Um, that does not seem very favorable. Yet, yet, a little, just when I thought about that, Joseph still had the courage to say it, even if it was from God, and it was. He still had the courage to say it, to tell him, which is unfortunate. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials, and he lined up the heads of the chief cupbearer and chief baker in the presence of his officials, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph said to them in his interpretation. The last verse here, the chief cupbearer had like one job that Joseph wanted. He says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember, did not remember Joseph, he what? He forgot him. It's like, come on, man, you, you had that opportunity. It's like you, you forgot about that. Um, interesting little point is I just, when I were with, I, I really wrestled with this 
passage. I just kind of went, left it, went back to it, left it, kept thinking about it, left it, and just kind of, kind of wrestled with this a little bit because it's just like dreams and, you know, just this whole thing. So it's, I just had this thought, like we're not dreams, the very thing that got Joseph trouble in trouble in the first place. I mean, the dreams were the things that, that the very reason why Joseph, that the, when, when his brothers, like he told his dreams to his brothers, he spoke to them and to them. They were God-given dreams earlier that we find that Joseph's brothers give, and they didn't like that they were told to them. And yet, well, this is what got Joseph in trouble in the first place. Those dreams had to have been a faint memory for Joseph at this point. Yet, what I find is that he... I imagine he still had those in his, in his hand, like he had those dreams. He hasn't forgotten about those dreams of the past. He's held on to those dreams. And one might think after being thrown into a prison, taking away, taken to your country, not your own, you'd be fined a hard-pressed anything to say good about these dreams. You'd find it hard, anything to say or to do about any of these dreams. And these dreams may be even faint-hearted at best. But as far as Joseph knows... And the end for him had not been written on his life. He's in prison for good. At this point, prison for good, there's no way out. Yet we find Joseph at this juncture attending to the needs of other people. You find that Joseph saw these people in their hurt. And sometimes in circumstances, and it's just, just human nature, church, is sometimes in circumstances and seasons of life that we don't find fair, we tend to shut God out. The momentum of this progress kind of grows inward, and then we kind of tend to focus in on ourselves and then relegate to our own doing. But might God be saying something in difficult seasons and circumstances, yet maybe we don't have a listening ear to him? Notice Joseph here. He's got himself in a situation, maybe perhaps many years at this point, he's willing to hear, he's willing to hear, and he's willing to recognize their hurt to the chief cupbearer in the baker. They seem dejected. A quality that we might find very challenging in seasons of hurt, where we may not want to hear other people's hurt. We may want to kind of, kind of go inward, and, and this is sort of that ministry opportunity. Yet we ought not to dismiss the broken and the hurting along our path, because you don't know whose story you will be able to speak into, and also whose hurts that only you can minister toward. And it's one author notes it like this. It's apparent that Joseph had experienced the famous ups and downs of his own life. And it actually made him unusually sensitive and compassionate toward others. And this is how life works. You may not feel for those who are lonely until you have yourself suffered loneliness. And if so, you'll truly sympathize what will happen with others. Through his life experiences, Joseph had been developing a redemptive edge. A sympathetic resonance for others was welling in his soul. He knew where people were and how they felt, and he cared. And a great leader was emerging in the midst of all of this as well. And sometimes, a lot of times, circumstances reveal the nature of our heart. Circumstances that we're placed in reveal the nature of our heart. It's Proverbs 4.23 that reminds us, Above all else, guard your what? heart because what everything you do flows from that heart flows from that heart and first samuel 16 7 this is when uh, this is when uh, david 
King David was, was being anointed as king and somebody nobody anticipated being king. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. And maybe you're in that place right now, difficult, discouraging place, a place you aren't sure, like Joseph, where you'll end up or how you'll end up or what you'll do. The Lord sees your heart. It does not mean to gloss over that, those feelings of hurt and to simply just, just kind of gloss over it. And, and that's not what I'm saying with that. It really means that God sees your heart and he knows your heart and he knows when your heart is also disappointed. But the Lord sees the heart. He knows the heart. And at the heart is what drives everything else about a person. You notice how Joseph responds to the, these dreams? You notice in verse 8, he says, Do not your interpretations belong to God? To God. This was coming from a guy that seemingly always lost, been in a prison for several years, whose dreams are all just a faint memory at this point. Talk about disappointment. I mean, it's actually quite remarkable. He wants something to do with dreams in the first place. I mean, it's a person who's very deeply connected to God, deeply trusting of God. I mean, he, he could have given up on those dreams at this point, the dreams that he had. Yet he provides the meaning to those dreams. And I think up to this point had shown him to only trust in God for the future, a future that he did not know, a future he didn't have planned out. All up to this point, all the confidence that he had was in God, and that was a wisdom beyond his years. All the confidence, even in his own family, had been stripped from him. And maybe that's you. Maybe there's a lot of confidence in the people that you love, people closest to you. Maybe it's friends. Or maybe perhaps, maybe perhaps you've sort of been stripped down to only a faith and trust in God. And yet he placed that unwavering trust and confidence in God alone. His only confidence was God. And it took him a while to get to that place, but he finally knew that God was all he had. And everything he had belonged to God, including the gifts that he had been given, rightly appropriating all that we have, it belongs to God, is an act of worship. And trusting him when things aren't going very well is also a whole thing. <laughs> when disappointment comes, when expectations are unmet, when circumstances seemingly go south, when things aren't what you hope for, it reveals a lot about your heart and my heart in those circumstances. And God grows us in those circumstances to bring about a greater plan and a purpose. A future lands with God alone, and who better to trust the one than the one who knows the future already before we can even see it? Better to trust the one who knows it. The one who knew the future of King David, who was very flawed, yet God chose and used because of the scriptures say he was a man after God's own what? Heart. Solomon and Moses and Peter and Paul, so much more. We have stories of God using these people who were flawed and yet God, who trusted God and who kept going. And the Joseph story reminds me that God can use even the minutest of details to bring forth his plan and purpose in this world. I imagine a random Wednesday in an Egyptian prison can bring forth purposes that God wants to accomplish far greater than yourselves. A random Monday in Lawrence County, Pennsylvania, maybe finding someone on the road, maybe finding someone that you run into at the grocery store. And yesterday was me yesterday in Aldi by myself with, with Gwen in the grocery store and finding someone who had a need and talked with them for about 15 minutes and just sort of kind of 
walking through some, some deep hurt, right? This, like, this, I just imagine this like random Wednesday, this, this random, random time in the prison, and Joseph sees hurting people. <laughs> and God used him for that purpose. God wants us to use this purpose far greater than ourselves. The gospel grows in those conversations, in those moments. And the gospel also grows in very difficult and hard places, and sometimes hard conversations. God is up to something even in those circumstances. And Joseph had an attentive ear to those who wanted to hear him. And he listened to the cupbearer and the baker. Chuck Swindoll says this about God's, one of God's favorite methods is training just an ordinary, monotonous life. He says it's being faithful in the menial, insignificant, routine, regular, unexciting, uneventful daily tasks of life. Life without a break, without the roses. Just dull, plain life. The constant, just constant, unchanging, endless hours of monotony as you learn to be a man or woman of God with no one else around, when no one else notices, when no one else cares. That's where real life happens. Maybe we've shortcutted Christianity. And maybe we've shortcutted the discipleship journey to all be about like every day we've got to find someone and convert them to Jesus. And I pray that that would happen. But sometimes maybe we've shortcutted that discipleship journey because it's a daily, sometimes, sometimes just monotonous journey of life. We ought to be expectant for God to move. Don't get me wrong. We ought to be expecting for the Holy Spirit to show up and to move, but oftentimes there's this just simply just in-between space of life where we just need to be a little bit, maybe perhaps even myself, more mindful of just the conversations we have with other people that God brings into our path that sometimes we miss. In seasons of disappointment or discouragement, might we miss out on what God is doing by simply ignoring those who are hurting around us? If we are in seasons of discouragement or disappointment, we often miss or neglect those people around us who are hurting. And I think if you're Joseph, you've got every reason in the book, every reason in the dictionary to, be, to not want to hear these people out, to not want to hear their hurt, to not want to hear what's going on. And could it be that even in our own pity, we miss out on a meeting, a need right in front of us? Maybe we miss out on needs right in front of us in our own pity. And it's not to diminish the things that we are going through, not at all. Because some of us are going through some very difficult things and circumstances. But could it be that the people that are placed in our path, could it be the very people that God wants us to minister to for our good and their good too? I'm reminded in this story that when Joseph is granted favor from God, when Joseph is granted favor and trusts in God, he is not granted a get a jail out of free card in Monopoly. He's not granted that. He's actually, he's not given freedom from jail. He is simply given favor from God. And we often think that blessings of, from God are material, that God has to get me out of here. If I place trust in him, God has to remove me from this situation. But could it be that exactly where we are is where God wants us to be? Could it be? Maybe we're focused on the next big thing from God in our lives, and then we overlook the sightings of God in our midst. Church, don't dismiss the fruit of the season that, this season that God wants to produce in your life if you've had a hard season. Joseph, unfairly treated, unjustly put in a place he did not deserve to be in, yet he was still used by God. 
because he had a heart to those who were hurting and he trusted God. We may be the very person that God wants to use to then speak hope to other people. What we do know is that those dreams belong to God. And if you notice that the dream to the baker was not necessarily an encouraging one, yet Joseph knew those dreams were from God. And we must be willing to listen, even when God speaks, and listen intently, and then have the courage to obey whatever necessary. Notice the last verse. Do you notice this when we read this? This kind of ends on a cliffhanger right here, the the chapter. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He what? It's like, dude. It's like, come on, man. You ever notice just a little little pastoral like kind of moment here? Sometimes we do good deeds for people and we expect them to do something for us in return or a thank you or something else, just a little thing. There are some times where we just serve people and then they forget about us. And guess what? We serve them anyway. Sometimes we ought to think, we think, well, we deserve something in return. And God's like, just go serve them anyway. Sometimes we're forgotten. (laughs) And we have to be okay with that. Like, we just have to be okay being forgotten in life. Um, I can imagine that that Joseph's supremely disappointed, knowing that the guy was released and then crossing your fingers, hoping you'd get out of there. One sleep after another, you'd think after a day, he's like, well, that guy probably forgot about me. And that one request dissipates, begins to sort of dissipate there. I just want you to know, church, that you belong to somebody. And that person is God. And God has not forgotten about you. Nor has God forgiven or for, forgotten on you. Nor has He given up on you. The experience of delay is always written on the part of God's people and of car, part of the Bible and the characters. Abraham's long wait for a son. Moses' 40 years of preparation in the desert. David's anointing as a boy. And then the, the long years of delay in the fields of Judea. And then the flight of Saul hiding in a cave of an Adullam. Hudson Taylor was the founder of the China's Inland Mission and he knew the disappointment of delay. After six years of intensive service to China, he returned home as an invalid and settled with his family in the poor east end of London. There, outside, his interests faded, friends began to forget, and five long years were spent in coal blackened streets in London. But he writes about this time, and he says this, Yet without those hidden years, with all their growth and testing, how could the vision and enthusiasm of youth been matured for the leadership that was to be? And as modern missionary history attests, when the delay ended, the great China inland mission emerged. And Joseph experienced disappointment after disappointment and his brother's murderous rejection, evil for doing good and resisting Potiphar's wife, the withering disappointment from the forgetful cupbearer. As one writer notes it like this, Joseph's life teaches us that disappointments are essential to spiritual growth because they demand faith and resting all hope upon who? God. Raymond Edmund says this, quotes this, delay never thwarts God's purposes. It only polishes his instrument. Do you like that? (laughs) Delay never thwarts God's purposes. It only polishes his instrument. I'm, I'm always fascinated by how the scriptures portray sort of the kind of church 
the kind of people, the kind of Christ's followers, as Paul prays in the New Testament. Paul is a New Testament writer, and he started many of these churches in the New Testament. 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament are attributed to a guy named Paul. And I just find it fascinating at the kinds of prayers that Paul prays, the kind of people that Paul prays, the kind of church that it's my prayer that we would continue to be kind of prayers that Paul prays. And he says the early, the early church was up against some very extreme obstacles, very, very, very extreme obstacles. And notice the kind of faith. Notice the kind of prayer that Paul prays. It's in Colossians 1. We continually ask God to what? Fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you, you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in what? Every way. Bearing fruit in what? Every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great, what? Endurance and patience. I needed that word. That's why I had to stop there. Endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you so that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name, I love this part, so we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in who? You. And you in him according to the grace of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, God wants to produce something far greater than we could ever imagine in ourselves. Notice the kind of prayers that are prayed in this. Steve Elliott, author, he says this, could it be, he asks this question, could it be that we are meant to trust our own journey with God as a whole? Not simply base our trust in God upon the circumstances of our particular day or struggles of a particular season that we do not understand. Are we meant to trust God to know what's coming for us even when we can't see what tomorrow holds. That's where, that's, where true, that's where true faith and trust come in. When we can't foresee what tomorrow holds. Are we meant to trust God to know what's coming for us when we can't see what tomorrow holds? Because he holds the future and he knows it. This is sort of today's big idea. The one point is this, that God's actions prove that he knows us better than ourselves and his purposes are greater than we could ever imagine. God's actions prove that he knows us better and his purposes are greater than we could ever imagine. He is worthy of our complete trust. Amen? Amen. Worship team, will you come up as we sing this?